Hello, and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. Yes, now it's good to be back from vacation, and you know, obviously we're past Christmas and New Year's and everything, so hey, it's good to be back in the studio. We had last week's episode broadcasting from the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains in northern Georgia. Took you guys on vacation vacation with me, but hey, we're we're back in town now, uh, back home, hopefully getting things back to normal. <laughs> it was a stressful month, guys. I, I'm not going to lie. December was a little crazy, so I am happy to be here in January in the new year and glad you guys are starting it off with me. Yeah. So we have a great podcast lined up today. You know, the first segment we're going to be doing is called Conditioning 101. Yeah, you know, look, it's the essence of dog training. It is. You have to know what conditioning is to be able to apply it to your dog. So we're going to talk a little more in depth about that. Then we have a segment called Renovations with Your Dog. Everybody's doing them. Renovations, house renovations, kitchen renovations. And there is a lot that goes into that. Stress, (laughs) among other things, excitement. Uh, And we can't forget about our pets during that time. So we'll, we'll talk more about that and my experience with it as well. Then comes the breed of the week followed by the listener Q&A. Hey, if you guys have questions for that listener Q&A, you guys keep them coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going with today's show, I'm going to give you that trivia question of the day. And today's question is, what is the strongest mammal in the world? Yes, through brute force, what is the strongest mammal in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's show. So be sure you stick around and sit Stay and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Conditioning 101. Now, the essence of training animals really is just that. It's conditioning, guys. Every animal on this planet learns the same way. We really, we all do. We kind of all tick and operate the same way doesn't matter if we're talking about a dog, a bird, a cat, a monkey, you know, we all learn and understand the world around us to to some basic generalized degree the same way. Okay. And as I've talked about in the past, behavior either gets reinforced and increases or it gets punished and it decreases. That is conditioning, right? Um, we can talk about classical and operant conditioning. Um, you know, we start, I, I start with, let's start with the classical conditioning. Let's talk about that a little bit, right? Um, I've talked about this guy in the past, Mr. Pavlov. Everybody's heard of Pavlov. Um, but, you know, he was one of the first people to start experimenting with animals and psychology. You know, when he, when he first started, he was actually, the experiment he had set up, he was actually studying dogs' digestive systems and intestinal tract. And obviously that's going to involve food and feeding. And what he discovered is anytime he brought out meat, like a big steak, a big piece of meat to feed the dog, the dogs would start salivating. And he saw this concept. And of course, you know, you got to remember, guys, this is this is the birth of, of modern psychology. We didn't understand everything. I mean, we still don't understand everything. It's an evolving science. Um, But there were some basic principles of psychology, of classical conditioning that we didn't understand at the time. And Mr. Pavlov is one of those guys who, hey, he kind of figured it out, right? And so he noticed this phenomenon of the dog seeing a steak and salivating and said, I want to experiment with this. And so what he started doing is he basically 
understood the fact that, okay, there's a paired stimulus here, right? Every time I bring out the stimulus, such as a steak, the dog starts drooling. So they know when feeding time comes around, when they're getting a steak, I don't even have to bring the steak out. They just know I'm getting it ready and they start drooling. And so he thought about that concept of the fact that the steak doesn't have to smell, they don't have to see it, they just know it's coming and that creates uh, the drool, the, 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 you know, the salivation and salivation, salivation, oh goodness, um, not salvation, anyway, <laughs> so he discovered this and so he wanted to experiment around and play with it and what he found and we all know it, we all know the famous experiment he ended up setting up. In a nutshell, what he discovered is that he would ring a bell and feed a dog meat, a treat, steak, what have you, right? And then he would ring a bell and feed the dog food, ring a bell, ring the dog food. And what he was doing is he was conditioning a stimulus that is a neutral stimulus, such as the bell, right? The bell, when we start with a dog, the bell means nothing, Right? Does that make sense? The bell means absolutely nothing. So by taking a neutral stimulus and pairing it with that food, right, with steak, something like that, then the dog starts understanding every time I hear this bell, food's coming. Every time I hear this bell, here comes the steak. Bell, steak, bell, steak, bell, steak, bell, steak. And he conditioned and strengthened right? That stimulus so much that all Pavlov had to do was start ringing that bell and the dogs would start drooling. He didn't even have to, we, we could keep steak in the freezer, right? There's no smell. There's no scent coming out. I'm not going to bring out the steak. I'm not going to cook it. I'm not going to do anything. All I'm going to do at this point is ring the bell and boom, that dog starts salivating, right? And so he discovered that we can actually pair neutral stimulus uh, with, with, with stimulus like food, with something like that, Right? And that's where conditioning, the concepts of conditioning, we started to understand them and really modern psychology was born, okay? Um, so it's it's really fascinating stuff to me that, you know, I mean, again, it's just like anything in, in the history of humans. We had to figure all this stuff out. You know, somebody had to think about this and go, wow, I, I see a pattern, I see a connection. And then they can start to understand what conditioning is. So that's, that's classical conditioning uh, kind of broken down and in a nutshell, a little bit of both. <laughs> so we didn't go too off the deep end there. But, um, but that's what it is, guys. Okay, and so what I try to teach is if you can take this this simple Pavlov, this Pavlovian example, right? And they call it Pavlovian. Sometimes classical conditioning is called Pavlovian. Pavlovi, goodness, I am tongue-tied today. Pavlovian conditioning, right? Uh, we can take that basic concept, and this is what I try to teach you. I teach my clients, and you have to apply it directly to your dog because that is the essence of what a dog is. It really is. It's the essence of what animals are. You know, we say we're creatures of habit, right? Do you know what that actually means? It doesn't, I mean, habit. habits are conditioned. You know, I've given the example before of brushing your teeth. You brush your teeth, I hope you do, every day because you conditioned yourself that if you brush your teeth, you get something out of it. Your teeth stay healthy. You don't see the dentist. You don't have to go get a drill in your teeth, right? Those are things that you 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 like and you get something out of the act of brushing your teeth. Therefore, it becomes habitual. You've conditioned yourself to wake up every morning, go to bed every night and brush your teeth. That's conditioning, right? So the stimulus, we could, we could say we pair a neutral stimulus such as brushing your teeth because at first it's nothing. You don't, who cares? You brush your teeth, whatever. 
And what we do is we pair the, the, the good things that come out of it, right? Um, and so through motivation, that's how we condition animals, okay? Conditioning and, and look, here, here's, here's the heartbreak time. <laughs> Guys, dogs are very intelligent creatures. They are. They're very smart. They're very intelligent. But that intelligence has a limit, Okay. And really, at the end of the day, all dogs, all dogs are, the only reason a dog reacts and acts the way they do with you, toward you, is because of what you have conditioned, okay? Now, in the last episode, I believe I mentioned something, the effect of that, you know, it's all what you allow. It's what, it's what you let happen. It's, it's, it's what you reinforce and what you as the owner punish. So when I have a client go, oh, my dog is such a brat, you know, <laughs> he's, I had, I've had him since he was a puppy and he's just always been such a brat. And, you know, well, we give him food and we spoil him and ah, there it is. When someone says to me, we've spoiled our dog, what that means is they have conditioned bad behaviors or undesired behaviors in their dog. It's still conditioning, guys. That's that's kind of the point here. It's all what you strengthen and what you punish, what you reinforce and what you punish. That's the essence of conditioning. So if you can start thinking about your dog, not in terms of, oh, is Fluffy happy or sad? Or on a scale of one to 10, where do we think Fluffy's emotions are today? If we stop thinking like that and start going, do I want to strengthen or punish that behavior? Do I want to condition that behavior to to be strengthened to something I like? Do I want it to repeat? Do I want it to happen again? Or do I want it to go away and lessen and decrease and weaken? Okay. If you can start thinking of your dog's behavior in terms like that, and I know, I know, David, don't you care about the dog's emotions? Of course I care about the dog's emotions. That's why I want to condition and strengthen good and desired, I kind of stop saying good, desired behaviors in the dog that I know create a stable-minded dog. So it's all just conditioning, guys. And, and I know, I know you're not, you don't like, people don't like hearing this, but it's all just conditioning. Look, I wouldn't stay married to my wife if I didn't get something out of the relationship. And she wouldn't stay married to me if she didn't get something out of the relationship. We get, right? We get companionship, we get love, we get friendship. We get instinctual needs fulfilled, okay? That's what a marriage is, right? It's it's a relationship, and in a relationship, you have to condition <laughs> behaviors. Believe it or not, yes. Look, work. You go to work. If you went to work and your boss didn't pay you, are you going to keep working? No, at least I hope not. Guys, you should get paid for your job. <laughs> uh, look, we've all been at jobs in the past where they want you to work more than you should without paying you. That's not okay. That's not okay. You deserve to be compensated for your time. And that's conditioning. Let's talk about it, okay? Again, if you didn't get paid, you wouldn't do your job. So you've actually conditioned your workplace to pay you in order to get a return on that, right? That's conditioning, believe it or not, okay? So it's 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 all what you strengthen and what you punish, okay? Pavlov discovered that if I reward, right, if I, if I pair this stimulus with a bell and then I reward it and strengthen it with food, every time I ring this bell, the dog comes running to me. We've conditioned a stimulus to create a behavior that we need, 
right? That's how, let's talk about a recall for a second. That's how we get a recall. We've talked about a recall in the past. Now, a recall, um, some people don't know the term. Recall means get your dog to come to you. Get your dog to come back to you. Get your dog to, you know, you, they're 50, 100 feet away. You can whistle, call their name, whatever, and they come to you. That's a recall, okay? How do we teach a recall? Through conditioning. How do we teach anything? It's through conditioning. <laughs> but but how, let's, let's talk about this specific example. Now, let's say I'm out in the yard. I've got a 30-foot nylon leash attached to the dog, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to make our kissy noise, call their name Fluffy, and reel them into us and give them a treat. I'm going to make that kissy noise again, call their name Fluffy, pull on that leash, reel them into us, and give them a treat. And what I'm conditioning is that every time they hear the stimulus of Fluffy, they get pulled toward me and get food. And if I condition and strengthen that behavior and strengthen that enough, before you know it, guys, I won't have to reel them to me, right? I can just say Fluffy because I've conditioned that noise means come to me and get food. If I condition and strengthen it enough, we can do it from 500 feet away. Fluffy, Fluffy's going to come running straight over because they know every time I hear this noise, I run to that person and get fed. That's conditioning. Now, here's the other side of it. What happens if we don't have that 20, 30 foot leash on? We're out in the yard and I go, Fluffy, and Fluffy ignores me and walks away. Aha. That's still conditioning. Now, let's say I try it again. Fluffy, they still ignore me and walk away. Now, let's say as the owner, I start, come on, Fluffy, come on, Fluffy, Fluffy, and Fluffy keeps ignoring you. Guess what you're conditioning? You're conditioning your dog to ignore you. Ha-ha. <laughs> conditioning works both directions, guys. That's the thing. That's the thing about conditioning. Um, it works both directions. I watch people all the time teach their dogs to ignore them right? I watch it, should I say, condition their dogs to ignore them. Teach is not the right, I mean, it's the right word, but uh, they condition their dogs to ignore them. You have to start thinking, I, I like to think of conditioning like a flow chart, right? I've been talking a lot, I know, I've been going, going off and going in 20 different directions here, trying to give you a lot of examples. Think of conditioning like it's a flow chart. Is my dog doing what I need them to do? Yes, I need to reinforce and strengthen that behavior. I need to condition and strengthen that behavior through conditioning. Okay, stick with me here. Is the dog doing what I need them to do? Yes, reinforce and strengthen it. Cool. Okay, let's ask ourselves again. Now, hey, now it's a different moment. Is the dog doing what I need them to do? No. Okay, well, then I need to redirect that behavior. Now that I've redirected the behavior, is the dog doing what I... Yes. Okay, I'm going to give them a treat and reinforce and strengthen that behavior. If you start thinking of it in terms like a flow chart, and again, we're not going to get off on redirections, punishment, reinforcement. If you guys need to, you know, more information in different segments, we're not, we're not honing in on that today. Um, but that's the essence of conditioning. If you can start thinking of your dog like, a, like their behavior, not your dog, if you can start thinking of their behavior on a flow chart, it makes it so easy to fix any behavior because here's, aha, now here's the other side. Okay. Fluffy's doing something we don't like. I look at that and I say, ooh, I don't like that behavior. Is Fluffy doing what we like? No, Fluffy's doing something we don't like. Okay, I need to redirect that behavior. Okay, I redirected the behavior. Is Fluffy still doing what we don't like? Yes. 
Oh, my redirection didn't work. I need to change it and do something different. Maybe take it up to a punishment. Did that punishment work? Yes. Aha. I just learned and understood that punishment is what's going to work to condition that behavior to decrease. Okay, but without running through it like a flowchart step-by-step like that, all you're doing is fluffy, stop, fluffy, stop, fluffy, hey, come on, stop, stop. And now you're conditioning your dog to not listen to you. But if you break it down into a flowchart and going, wait, wait, I just asked Fluffy to stop, but Fluffy didn't stop. So I probably shouldn't say stop three more times because if it didn't work the first time, (laughs) it's probably not going to work the second, third, or fourth time. And then all you're doing is conditioning Fluffy to ignore you the first, second, third, fourth time. Okay, you see what I'm getting at here? If you view it as a flow chart, you can start to see your failures and successes really quick because you can ask yourself, what am I trying to get out of this right now? What do I want Fluffy to do? Fluffy's doing something I don't want them to do. I need, is Fluffy doing what I want them to do? No. Okay, well then I need them to do a different behavior. Okay, so let's try to, re- again, if you break it down, you see what I'm kind of saying here, guys? If you break it down, it makes it so much easier to step back and analyze what's happening. Okay, so conditioning really is just all about what you strengthen and what you punish, what you reinforce, what you punish. Remember, guys, reinforcement, reinforcement is going to strengthen behavior and reinforcement. You can reinforce desired behaviors, but you can also reinforce undesired behaviors. Okay, let's go to the other side of the coin. Punishment. Punishment is going to decrease behaviors. Right. And again, same thing. I watch clients punish desired behaviors all the time, (laughs) inadvertently, unknowingly, or what have, but they do it, okay? So both sides of the coin, this is how conditioning works. You can condition and strengthen undesired behaviors. You can condition and strengthen desired behaviors. It's up to you as the owner to recognize these things and step back and see what you're conditioning, what you're strengthening, and what you're weakening, okay? Um, So conditioning is, it's a very basic concept but I think we get a little lost in it because we just kind of try to, you know, I think most people try to converse with their dogs instead of looking at their dogs as a, am I strengthening or weakening this behavior? It's fluffy. Why'd you do that? Don't do that. Why are you being silly? Bop, 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 Instead of, hey, fluffy. No. Did fluffy listen? Yes. Okay. Good fluffy. Oh, fluffy's doing the wrong thing again. Fluffy. No. Did Fluffy listen? No. Okay, well, I better redirect that differently. Fluffy, here's a little touch correction. Collar correct. See the difference? When you go as a flow chart and you start viewing these things as conditioning, strengthening, weakening, it makes it so much easier to, to assess their behavior and, and deal with it in a way that's going to work for both you and your dog. Okay? So it's important that you understand the concepts of conditioning. But really, guys, conditioning comes down to two things. Reinforcement and punishment. Yes. You heard me correctly. Reinforcement and punishment. I'm going to reiterate it one more time, right? Conditioning is reinforcement and punishment. Reinforcement is going to increase and strengthen behaviors, whether desired or not. And punishment is going to decrease and weaken behaviors, whether desired or not. As the owner, it's all what you condition and what you strengthen and weaken. And that's what gets you a desired behavior. You know, I mentioned last, um, I mentioned last week's segment that, At the end of the day, guys, in cold, hard truth, at the end of the day, it's up to you as the owner. It is. It's up to you as the owner to create good behaviors. And if your dog has spent years not exhibiting desired or good behaviors that you like, 
uh, it's most likely your fault. I know. I know. Truth bomb. But it is the truth. And as I said in the last episode, sometimes we do get dogs that we adopt and that come with baggage that by no fault of your own is there. But, but at some point, (laughs) it is the responsibility of the owner to fix those things. Because if you're not actively trying to change yourself to change your dog's behavior, then you're not making it better, you know? And, And then at some point, you are a little at fault for your dog's behavior not changing. If you haven't called a professional, if you haven't hired somebody and you have a rescue dog that's got issues... Yeah, guys, it, it's the it's the owner's fault at some point. I know, I know, not necessarily what you want to hear, but I hope that maybe if you haven't gotten your dog the help they need, then that encourages you to go out and do that. Okay, don't let your dog continue to to live with anxiety, live with issues. Uh, try to con- try to understand conditioning a little better so you can condition better and healthier behaviors in your dog. So, you know, I kind of hope that that helped clarify, kind of dove in, you know, took a little dive into conditioning there. Uh, maybe that helped clarify a couple things for you. But again, if you just understand the concepts of reinforcement punishment, go back to the basics, have that good understanding of general psychology, you'll be on a better track to conditioning the good desires, or rather, excuse me, good <laughs> conditioning desired behaviors in your dog. I'm very tongue-tied today. <laughs> and of course, weakening and punishing behaviors that you don't like. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. on Speak a Dogcast, renovations with your dog. Now, a lot of people are doing renovations right now, whether it's a whole house remodel or just a kitchen or a bathroom, there's a lot of it going on. You know, and if you're a homeowner and you've tried to hire a plumber or a handyman or anything, <laughs> you might have been put on a long, long waiting list. Yeah, you know, look, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing house repairs and all these kinds of things because quite frankly, we've all been home and when we're home and around, we tend to notice things. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys, you know, if you're any any of you homeowners out there, you've definitely noticed some things that need to be done around your house. I mean, look guys, home ownership is like this never ending nightmare (laughs) of things to do, you know, Uh, things that need to be fixed or upgraded or updated or what have you, because you can't, you know, you can't just let your house 
not be updated, not be up. You need to keep up with it. It's one of those things where if you want it to be keeping its worth, you got to keep up with it. And again, at some point, you've got to update it. And uh, my wife and I, you know, we were lucky enough that it's been, you know, we've been working our butts off these past few years and uh, we just did a kitchen renovation. Yeah. And that's a big one, you know, kitchen renos. Wow. <laughs> Anybody out there that can relate. And, you know, it's a lot. It's stressful. There's so much that goes into it. And we also have to take into consideration our pets. I know, right? It's like dogs, renovations. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of things that you may not think about with a renovation. No, let me rephrase that. There are going to be a ton of things <laughs> that, that you don't consider or think about <laughs> with a renovation. Uh, if you're a first time, um, you know, as, this was our first renovation that we've done. And there's a lot of things we've learned, <laughs> but a lot of things that you just, you can't prepare for. It's just, just how it goes. It's the nature of, of the beast. And look, my experience was not only did I have my own dogs to deal with, but I had to continue operating my business uh, during this whole thing. And that's tough. Uh, that's that's tough when you have eight, nine dogs and then even more sometimes on doggy day camp days and it gets a little crazy. So I just kind of wanted to throw out a couple tips, a couple thoughts, things that my, you know, in my experience, my wife and I that we went through um, that might help you <laughs> hopefully through your renovations a bit, you know. And the first thing is when we're doing a kitchen reno, you know, look, when we're doing any kind of renovation, guys, you've got to start thinking of some basic stuff, logistics, right? Um, where's your dog going to be during all of this? Are you going to be home during these renovations? Are you not going to be home? And if you're not going to be home, where does your dog end up in all that? Uh, you know, look, it's a tough thing because the problem is there's a lot of loud noises, a lot of banging. And if your dog is not used to that, it can be a problem. It can be a lot of added stress to your dog. So that's the first thing, guys, is if you can, try to create a calendar, a plan, if you can, to try to figure out on what days where your dog needs to be, okay? If that means doggy day camps, look, it means doggy day camps, and you need to put that into your kitchen reno budget, yeah. Um, but that's kind of the first thing I want to stress is if you can get some kind of even loose schedule for the entire renovation, it's really going to help set you up for success on on putting your dog in a making them comfortable, making sure they're in a good place, you know, physically place and mental place uh, to be able to handle those renovations. Because guys, where does a reno always start? Demolition, <laughs> and demolition day tends to be loud. It tends to be dusty, and most likely you can't just have your dog out in the house. So, are they going to be cooped up in a bedroom all day? Demo sometimes takes a couple days. Are they going to be cooped up for three days straight? Okay, so there's all these things you got to think about. So that's my, my first piece of advice is if you can lay out a timeline and a calendar and, you know, you can't always get your um, uh, your repairman, everybody, the plumber, the electrician, you can't always get everybody on a schedule. But if you can try to schedule it out ahead of time, I highly recommend that. Because then you can literally put on the schedule who needs to take the dog where. You can plan out ahead of time when your dog needs to go to doggy day camp and already get them on the schedule for that as well. Um, so something like that, I think, goes a really long way. Try to schedule out the entire project. It's not going to stay <laughs> exact, of course, but it gives you an outline. It gives you something to work off of and somewhere to start. So I highly recommend a calendar or a schedule. Okay. Now, one big thing that's going to help your dog through the renovations, guys, 
walks. You knew it was coming if you're a regular listener. You knew I was going to say it. Walk your dog. If this requires you waking up an hour or two earlier on renovation, on days you have people at your house working, tough toodles. I hate to tell you. (laughs) Tough. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to get up and exercise them because the more tired they are, the more exercise they are. I can promise you the better they're going to deal with the stress and of the sounds of the noise of the people coming and going. So exercise, guys. It has to happen every single day during your renovation, and it has to maybe even be a little bit longer, maybe more exercise than you normally give your dog, a bigger walk, a longer walk, because like I said, the more tired they are, the better they're going to be at dealing with the whole thing, okay? Now, if you have a dog who's reactive toward people when they come in the house, guys, that should be something you need to work on well before the renovation starts, okay? Hire a trainer work through getting people in and out of your home because if you can take that down and manage that better, once again, it's gonna take the stress level for your dog down. Now, for me personally, my dogs don't really have an issue with people coming or going, but sure, they're gonna bark. Somebody comes to the door, that's what they should do. Um, And I just preferred to keep my dogs out of the construction zone And in doing so, we kind of limited it to, you know, uh, my master bedroom, a patio. And of course, I've got a lot of outdoor areas uh, for my dogs to be in and my client dogs to be in. So it wasn't too bad. Um, But but what happened was, you know, people come to the door. I put them outside. They're going to bark. Hey, great training opportunity to teach them to ignore that. Um, Leash them up. Work them through it. Okay, We're not going to get into great detail about how we work them through those issues because that's a different segment for a different day. Um, But what I would recommend is the first few days of the of the uh, project, you need to be home, and I would try working your dog through some of that stress because it's a great training opportunity. Okay, um, like I said, we're not going to go into the details of how we do that today, but I'm trying to give you the tips for setting yourself up for success. So if you can try to work through it the first few days, that's what you're going to want to do. Um, now another thing, if you're doing a kitchen renovation like we did, guys, big thing that you've got to think about is water right? You're losing your kitchen sink. You're potentially losing your, you know, your filtered water that you drink out of the fridge or wherever. Um, Water for yourselves, obviously, you know, you're going to have to take, but what about your dogs? Where are you going to be filling that water bowl up at? Maybe you have a bathroom and that's fine. But if you're like me and you have eight or nine or 10 dogs, I don't have a tiny water dish. (laughs) I have a gigantic water dish and it's not going to fit in a bathroom sink. Uh, So we had to fill that out, uh, fill it up on the patio. Luckily we had a place to do that. But again, something that needs to be taken into consideration, okay? The dog food, that all that stuff, you're going to want to make sure you have this all set up in a different area. Look, ideally, ideally, and wouldn't it be great if we could all do this? Ideally, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just move out for the renovation? Some of us can, some of us can't. It's just not possible, um, whether logistically or financially. That's a lot, you know, that's a, that's a big extra chunk right there. Um, for me, logistically, it's just impossible. I can't move out with my own four dogs and client dogs. Where, where am I going to go? <laughs> it's not happening. Okay. So we definitely had to adjust. So something like moving your dog food. I know it seems so stupid and silly. All the dog treats, all the dog toys, guys, get them out of the main areas where the renovations are going to happen. It's going to be dusty. It's going to be dirty and you're not going to want any of that stuff exposed to it. So I know it seems like something simple and straightforward, but you know something, when you have a renovation happening, guys, you are thinking about so many different things. Your routine is going to get completely upheavaled because you're losing a kitchen, a bedroom, or whatever's getting renoed. Your routine is going to get so skewed, you may not even realize it until you're in it. 
Um, so try to set yourself up for success by make by setting up areas. You know, I, for myself, this is what it wasn't for my dogs. This is I had to have my coffee station. <laughs> you know, I had to have a little area where I can make my coffee. Wasn't ideal. Wasn't always easy to do. But it helped. Not putting that away, having an area for it, you know, not having to put it in a box and then go, oh, I got to go to Dunkin' every day or Starbucks every day. Um, I went a lot. <laughs> not going to lie. I uh, definitely spent a little bit more money than I usually do in December on coffees out as opposed to in. Um, but again, I'm trying to set myself up for success. So again, you know, just try to create areas for your dog like that where you have their stuff, it's set up, it's out of the way, and you're good. Now, another thing, if you can, you know, if you've got the renovation happening on the in the kitchen on one side of the house, if you if you know, if if it, your house is set up for it, try to set your dog up in an area that's very far away from the renovations. I know that might again seem a little obvious, but guys, dogs have obviously very sensitive ears. And sometimes, you know, it's best that we get them far away from the noise. Uh, with that said, some days are going to be noisier than others. Um, look, we had to have tile ripped out. And when you're ripping out tile, it is loud. It is dusty. It is obnoxious. That's a good day to maybe go for a doggy field trip. Again, if we have our schedule set up, we know when that's going to happen. And we'll spend the day over at the dog park. Or we'll spend the day going for some hikes or, or what have you. But Try to try if and again, you know, I know you're I know we all work and luckily my job is working with the dog. So it's not hard for me to just go, hey, let's get out for four hours and go escape. Um, but that's why doggy day camps exist, too. Again, guys, start thinking of these things ahead of time when you know, hey, this day is going to be crazy. It's going to be loud and my poor pup's going to be scared. Let's get him to doggy day camp for the day so they don't have to experience that. OK, these are those just little things that we want to do to set them up for success. OK. Um, you know, it's it's tough, guys. Renovations are very stressful, as I've said. There is a lot that goes into it, and I really, I want you guys to not forget about your pets, okay? <laughs> Last minute, go, oh my gosh, we're three days to the renovation. I haven't even thought if we have enough food, if we have enough this, if we have enough that. Um, try to get all of that. Something as simple as an extra bag of dog food sitting there ready to go when you need it, guys. It sounds so simple and silly, but I promise you, <laughs> when you're mid-renovation, and you run out of dog food, and you went, up. Oh, I already bought another bag, I don't even have to think. That is gonna be like the greatest feeling in the world <laughs> when you're mid-reno. It sounds so stupid, but I promise you, not having to think about it, not going, oh my God, I didn't order it off of Chewy, or I didn't, nah, I gotta go to the pet store now. Those little wins when you're doing something like this, when you're doing a big project, Gosh, they make you feel better. Um, so I, I implore you to try to think ahead of time. Be ahead of the game. Make a calendar. Make a schedule. And make a routine for your dog. Okay? I know it's a tough time to, but if you can create a good, solid routine where you're waking up early, you're getting that extra exercise in for your dog, it's going to make them a lot happier having that consistency. Okay, um, so let's just kind of run through it again. I want you guys to make a calendar if you're doing this renovation. Let's lay out a calendar. Let's see if we can't try to lay out when all of the workers are going to be here at your home so you can try to set yourselves up for success for getting your dog out of the house when you need to um, and setting, you know, somebody home when you need to be home, doggy day camps when they need to go to doggy day camps, right? Um, but that calendar is going to be huge, huge, huge. Another thing you need to think about, basic log logistical things like where you're going to be keeping their food, 
How are you going to be getting water to your dog? You know, can the bowl fit under the sink in the bathroom? Do we need to go buy a new dog bowl? Those little tiny details, if you don't think consider them ahead of time, they add up really fast and can create a lot of stress once you're getting into this, okay? So think about those little details as well. Um, of course, guys, exercise, exercise, exercise. Get your dog exhausted before that renovation starts. Make sure you're doing extra exercise. You're waking up a little bit earlier to get them that extra exercise they need. Go on extra walks, play with extra, you know, extra play time. And of course, schedule doggy day camps for your dog. That's gonna be a wonderful supplement to be able to get your dog out of the house, get them some stimulation and keep them happy. Um, renovations are stressful guys. There's just, there's no other way to put it. And there are going to be a lot of variables that no matter how much you prepare, they're going to come up. They're going to surprise you. So if you can get your dog happy, Hey, at least there's, you know, at least there's one thing checked off the list that if you're going to be stressful, at least make your dog less stressful. And that's, that's another side note. You're going to be stressed. I can promise you that even if it's something as simple as replacing one bedroom floors, you know, the floors in one bedroom, guys, things are going to come up and you're going to be stressed. So if you can get your dog calmer, if you can exercise them more and set them up for a better mental state, then maybe they won't feed off of your stress as much because they're probably going to. So think about that. Get your dogs calm and in a good state of mind before you start that renovation. It's going to go a long way toward helping them feel comfortable. So, you know, I hope a couple of those tips help, but I, I know some of it might seem obvious, but like I said, once you start getting into these renos, your brain gets fried. Uh, so take some of those things into consideration and hey, hopefully your renovations go great. Hopefully you guys aren't waiting, you know, <laughs> eight months for cabinets or an appliance or what have you. Best of luck to you all out there. And, uh, you know, hey, good luck keeping your dogs calm through it. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the English Setter. The English Setter is a member of the sporting group, and males come in from 65 to 80 pounds, with females at 45 to 50 pounds. A sweet, friendly, and stunningly good-looking dog. The English Setter is one of four Setter dogs that were each individually bred for the different terrains of the UK, Scotland, Ireland, and England. Now, English Setters are a solid, well-built dog. They get along well with other dogs, people, and kids. They can be playful and, well, sometimes a bit independent, too. These dogs are known for being a great companion and family dog while retaining their hunting heritage and instincts. English setters do tend to have a high prey drive, so caution should definitely be taken around smaller animals. And as with any dog, early socialization and early training are the best ways to ensure a well-adjusted pup. Usually a healthy breed, owners should be aware of hip and elbow dysplasia and deafness. The origins of the English setter date back some four to 500 years ago. Some believe that the breed actually predates the pointer in development, and of course, the idea behind breeding, breeding the English Setter was to create a dog that would quietly lie down or set when they located game birds. The style of hunting that was popular at the time required the use of very large nets being cast out to flush and catch the birds. A tall standing dog might actually get in the way of those nets and end up getting tangled in them. The creation of the Setter helped eliminate that problem, and any dog that set was labeled a Setter. By the 1800s, with the development of guns being used for hunting purposes, the need for a setter was less desired, and the emphasis changed, focusing more on scent work and the ability of the dog's nose. Now, the modern setter was actually developed in the 19th century by an Englishman named Edward Laverick and Welshman R.L. Purcell Llewellyn. 
Now, Laverick purchased his first two dogs, Ponto and Old Maul, from Reverend A. Harrison in 1825. These two dogs ended up becoming the foundation for the breeding stock. The focus was creating a dog that was gentle and a great companion. This might have been desirable for the show ring, but a little less for field trials. So to improve upon their field work, he crossed them with Gordon setters and other breeds to improve that scent work and speed. The English setter arrived in the U.S. in the 19th century, late 19th century, and was recognized by the AKC in 1878. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the strongest mammal in the world? It's the elephant. Yes, the strongest mammal and land animal through brute strength, definitely the elephant. And the African elephant can actually carry the equivalent weight of up to 130 humans. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Tim from Poughkeepsie, New York. Tim says, I have a strange issue with my dog. Every time we go out for a walk and he sees another dog, he will lie down in a crouch position. He waits and stares at the other dog. Once they approach him, approach him he'll pop up a little quick and then he says hi nicely. It's always friendly, but it just seems like an odd way for him to greet other dogs. Is this okay? Now, Tim, this is actually a more common issue than, than you might you might know. Uh, no, I've seen this quite a few times. And look, it may not be an issue right now, but in my experience, it can quickly evolve into an issue. Because really what that, what that crouch down position is, is more of a stalking position right? And usually that stalking position starts at playful. We see dogs do it. We see puppies especially do it. They'll go and they'll crouch and then pounce on another puppy uh, and it's playful. But as we've discussed before, you know, that predatory playful behavior is practicing the hunt, right? And so that's the thing is it's sort of, if that's how they greet it, if it becomes obsessive to the point that he's starting to greet every single dog like that, usually it snowballs out of control. I mean, that's just, that's usually what happens, okay? Uh, he keeps getting more and more excitable, and then he'll pounce on the wrong dog, or he'll start pouncing as opposed to maybe just popping up a little excited. Uh, it'll get more intense, and that's that's my experience in the past. So what I prefer to do is redirect. Um, if he lies down, you're just going to turn and walk the other direction, 180 degrees the other direction from the other dog. Turn and walk away. Force him to get up and, you know, not force, but you know what I mean. It forces him to get up, turn and walk away. You're going to reward that behavior with a treat once he turns and walks away. And then you're going to turn around and redirect back toward the dog. Maybe ask for a sit and a stay. Okay, try that. You can also just try walking by the other dog. Uh, try to continue the walk. There's really two options here. You know what? Actually, let's do it this way. Let's go first way. <laughs> first way, I want you to try to continue to walk by the other dog, continuing the movement and not letting him stop. Use treats. Reward him as he keeps moving forward and ignores the other dog. Um, the other option is a sit and a stay. The problem with the sit and the stay is you potentially then run into your dog wanting to try to lie down again. Okay, and that's the whole thing. We're trying to not let him lie down. Um, you know, I don't I don't like extremes on hellos, right? I prefer a dog that just walks up, maybe a nice little wag, sniff, sniff, turn, walk away, all good. If I have a dog who hightails it in fear, also not good. If I have a dog who's coming in aggression, also not good. Those are the extremes, right? And your dog is somewhere in the middle, but maybe a little much 
a little too much to one side is the way I see it. Because like I said, we're in a crouching uh, stock position, right? Kind of a stalking position there. So not a good thing. Um, but at the same time, you say it's always friendly. That's probably where it starts. If I had to guess, I'm going out on a limb here, I would say your dog is probably younger. Uh, probably under three or four years old and maybe even a puppy if I'm not being too uh, presumptuous there. But that's what I guess because usually when I see this type of crouching stalking and it's not overly crazy yet, they tend to be younger because it hasn't snowballed out of control yet. Um, so food for thought, I would start redirecting it. Uh, I wouldn't let that crouching happen. Like I said, I want my dog to be somewhere in the middle. Nice, ha happy, healthy, hello, uh, on all fours, walking up and approaching nicely, as opposed to one of those more extreme ends of like a, I'm crouching at you, okay? So kind of hope that answers your question. Next question. This comes from Sarah from Lake Worth, Florida. Sarah says, how do I get my puppy to shake? I've been trying, but she just doesn't seem to understand. Any tips? Yeah, puppies. Oh, man. Shake's one of the best ones, isn't it? And, you know, how we do it, of course, is treats. I'm sure you're already using treats. Um, but first thing you want to do before, actually, before we even get to the treats, make sure you're leashing up your puppy. You know, make sure you leash up your puppy when we're doing any kind of training time, even if it's something as simple as teaching them a shake. Because if they just decide to get bored and turn and walk away, you know, you can't stop them from doing that and trying to encourage them to stick around and keep working through the shake. Um, so, always leash up your dog when you're training. That's the first thing. And yeah, any tips, you know, what I like to do is I like to say, give me paw or shake, whatever your command is, shake. And as I'm saying that, I want to go in and simultaneously just kind of start tapping the back of their paws. They have it on the floor. Just go reach your hand in behind the paw and just give a couple light taps. Just tap, tap and say, hey, give me paw, give me paw and tap it a little bit. Okay. Um, and what you're going to do is slowly kind of bring the paw up, give me paw and bring their paw into your hand. And once you bring their paw into your hand, I give it a little squeeze, not hard, just a little squeeze so they understand, oh, paw in the hand. And I say, good, good paw, good shake, and give them a treat. Let go of the paw, put it back down. Wait a few seconds, reach back down again, start tapping at the back of the paw, give me paw, give me paw, encouraging it to kind of bump their paw up into your hand again. Oh, good, good, give me paw, a little squeeze, treat, okay? Rinse and repeat this a few times over the course of even just a couple of days, intermittently doing a little session here, a little session there of tapping and encouraging them to put the paw into your hand. Okay. Then you're going to just start tapping only and not actually lifting the paw up into your hand. Then you're going to slowly take out of the course a couple of days, take the tap away altogether and just put your hand in place. That's how we start kind of shaping that behavior into showing them what you want and then slowly removing your hand out of the picture of, of you know, putting the paw in your hand. So you're just offering the hand for the paw to go into. Right. Hope that kind of makes sense. Uh, and then especially that the, the first time your dog lifts their paw off the ground voluntarily, you're going to go good, good. Give me paw. Good. And really encourage it and really reward it once they do it. And of course, then the first time they actually lift the paw off the ground and put it in your hand, man, give them a couple treats for that one. Make a big deal. Give them a lot of affection. Right. Um, so that's what it's about. Take it slowly. Use a little bit of, uh, of tapping with the hand to try to encourage them to put the paw into the hand. And then, of course, once they get the paw in the hand, make a big deal about it and reward it like crazy. Uh, consistency is the key here in taking it slowly, but consistency. Don't change what you're doing. Just keep on the same track and, and then shape it away. Okay. Should, should help you out. And that's the easiest way to get a paw going. <music> 
That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. And all you Apple podcast listeners, leave me that five-star review if you love what you're hearing. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh